Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. A lot of what I do on this show is try to blend various concepts because we're all various people. If you work at the DMV, you have a different outlook on retirement than if you're say, a police officer and put your life in danger on occasion versus, say, a two-time or three-time divorcee who never set up retirement plan. We're all very, very different, whether we're the entrepreneurs or we're the ones who work for the big companies. Whether we're 25 years old and starting to smell the idea of what being an adult is like, or 50 years old and saying, man, I regret not being more youthful and, and, and pragmatic while I was useful. I want you to have fun. I have fun. I spend money. I tend not to talk a lot about it, A, because it looks, makes me look like a jerk, and B, it, it's, not, it's kind of the wrong message I'm trying not to send. But I try to do it in moderation. Netflix is seeing a relatively muted response their fourth quarter. One of the things I talk about on this show are what I refer to as story stocks. They may not be good investments for you, but their story is so easy to tell. And it's so easy to understand that it gets you involved in investing a little bit deeper. Netflix's fourth quarter was nothing short of boring, in my opinion. Streaming leader reported a large earning per share's beat, including a tax adjustment. Operating income doubled year over year to $459 million, but missed their own expectations. And you're like, this is starting to get confusing, Rob. Was it good or not? Just tell me the, just tell me the dirt. They added 8.7 million subscribers in the fourth quarter, which surpassed 7.6 million forecast. They added 442,000 subscribers in the United States. And they said it would have been higher if it wasn't for the recent price increases and competitive launches. I paid less attention to Netflix in November and December as I was consumed with Baby Yoda. You know what's up next, right? Baby Boba Fett and Baby, Baby, who else can we do? Job of the Hut. Baby Darth Vader? No, that won't work. So global subscribers for Netflix were up 20% at the end of 2019. That's a good number. They had a lot of content. Some of their content I tend to peter out on, do you? Like they've got this big new sci-fi show about this big alien artifact that comes to the Earth. And I'm in. Are they friendly or not? I'm in. They have a beautiful astronaut. I'm in. We're going to go to their planet to find out if they're nice or not. I'm in. And then I get bored. Um, I find that with a lot of their content, but that's okay. 
Valuation is the big metric with Netflix that I look at. Not necessarily their strong content slate. I want you to look at their content slate. I want me to look at their valuation. Earnings are surging. That's positive. But the company continues to burn cash. Ultimately, that's, in my opinion, negative. The idea of you going outside in your backyard with a barrel and saying, let's throw cash in it and burn it. Okay, yes, it could give you a little bit of warmth for a short period of time. So they're burning cash to be warm with subscriber numbers, with content. They're burning cash. And in the long run, it's not the best way of doing it. If their subscriber base continues to creep higher in the saturated and competitive U.S. market and stay on its growth trajectory in Europe and foreign overseas markets, then the company should be able to scale, generate cash flow, and grow its seemingly frothy $150 billion valuation. So most analysts are, are ultimately positive on the results. I told you one of the big keys of 2020 was going to be when Disney launched Disney+. Plus. And then one of the next big keys was going to be how did Netflix do in the first quarter of Disney+. Plus. And it was a solid mixed result. It does face increasing competition. The company is likely to remain a leader in the space, given its significant head, year, head years start. And the fact that they're still investing in content. Had they said, you know, we're done. Lost in Space ends after season two. Stranger Things, we're not going to make any more of them. We're just going to tell you that the, the sheriff really is dead. And you're like, whoa. That's how those end? Robinson's never get home. Yeah, but they're committed to doing more content. And I think that's a good thing. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Uh, One of the big stories of today is that we're in the second big week of earnings. And that's when we start seeing more companies. That's when the they start squeezing in the door, so to speak. Apple has some positive sentiment on news that Bloomberg is reporting they've asked Taiwan Semiconductor to increase the supply of chips to meet strong iPhone demand. Netflix is barely lower, feeling a little bottomish. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Johnson Johnson a little bit lower because it's been said to be an overbought territory, which a lot of people are thinking the market's in overbought territory. But I hear a little bit more often than not. Oh, and by the way, I got to say congratulations to Tesla. They're at this level now that if they stay at this level, then Elon Musk is going to get a ton of stock options. An area that a lot of people thought was pie in the sky, including myself. President Trump said he's planning to announce a plan for the middle class tax cut over the next 90 days. I don't know how to say this, but Wall Street's kind of looking at him to be reelected at this point in time. So says Wall Street and so says data out of uh, you know market predictions and analyst expectations. Trump says GDP would be near 4% and the Dow would be soaring if it weren't for the Fed. So he got what he wanted with tax cuts and other issues, but he still won't accept that it's not what he promised. Instead, he's pointing at the Federal Reserve. I don't want to see the Federal Reserve go negative interest rates. No matter what, even if it means we, we stagnate, 
I'm okay with that. I don't want to promote massive inflation down the road because the people who get hit by massive inflation tend to be poor people, low-income people, and seniors. 800-516-1220. Get your calls on the air. Big story entering the market this 2020, coronavirus. Still very, very small, but it's out there. But then again, we don't know how small it is. Taiwan is, is saying, China, we need you to be honest with us. We need real numbers out of you because like, a lot of our citizens flow back and forth. Home builder stocks all move to highs on better than expected numbers out of existing home sales. So companies like Lennar, DR Horton, Pulte, KB Homes, and XHB, uh, the index for the home builders, all moving higher. Regional banks are a big loser today as Zion's Bank Corp didn't do that good with their, their quarter earnings. Banks have not worked the way they should but interest rates haven't moved higher as they should. You don't expect longer, lower, forever. Longer, lower, forever. Uh, regional banks are not working in that area. Pandemic fears are on the rise with the 10-year Treasury dropping today. You hear more and more about this story. Coronavirus 2020. I'm Rob Black. Big seminar coming up in Palo Alto. You can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm a big fan of moderation in moderation. I'm okay with one Coca-Cola, especially if you're a kid. It's when you have six, it becomes a problem. I'm okay with one tech stock. It's when you only own tech stocks that I have a problem. I'm okay with one concert where you kind of blow the budget, take your family to see AJR, something super fun. Uh, Maybe a 49ers game because your kids always wanted to see a game. But when it becomes kind of like a lifestyle thing, that's where I, I start seeing... Even gambling. I'm okay if people want to go out and throw their money away. You know the house always wins. Like, you know that. So just do it once. Don't make a hobby out of it. Same thing with investing is, like, don't get too caught up in being Mr. Perfect. Um, You don't have to be consumed by it. You can take a look at the chart of the S&P 500 for the last 100 years, and it's gone up. Um, And it's gone up in the good times and bad times. The Dow Jones Industrial Average 30. It's gone up in the good times, the hippie love days. I don't even know. Though. Were those good times for the economy, or were those that, was that high inflation? Interest rates at 18%. It wasn't the best times for stocks. It's gone through Vietnam and North Korea and Nagasaki and Hiroshima and World War II and World War I. It's gone through $150 oil and, in my lifetime, $13 a barrel oil. When you're in the mid-60s, it's boring. The way I like to see oil move in my life, $60 a barrel to $61 a barrel. $61 a barrel to $62 a barrel. I'd like to see it tied towards world population growth or something other than tensions in the Middle East. And that's not the only thing that it's tied to. It's it's tied towards a lot of supply and demand, too. But you get the idea. Coca-Cola says it won't ban plastic bottles. Listen to this. Because their customers still want to use them. 
No, 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 no. There has to be a better PR firm than that. I am not the future of this planet. I grew up plastic, single serve, everything. And I thought, hey, this is convenient. Not thinking about it until, believe it or not, it wasn't a little turtle who got some plastic in his head. It was when I heard a defense secretary describe the massive amounts of plastic bottles that were leaving behind in Iraq due to our bases that we were setting up there due to needing to give our soldiers water due to it being in a desert. But I think the secretary general or defense secretary, it was some big title, something like... uh, One of our biggest logistics problems is moving around the plastic bottles and and figuring out where to put those things. There was talk about, like, excrement and outhouses. There was talk about all sorts of odd things you don't expect. That was a pretty big moment for me where I was like, whoa. Um, And and I think he even called them Nestle water bottles. And it just kind of shocked me of, like, this war may be all about water. I don't know if I believe that, but it shocked me that... That was a logistic issue. Businesses won't be in businesses if they don't accommodate consumers. And that so says Coca-Cola, Senior Vice President for Sustainability. Sustainability officers are a real thing right now. Mama, right now, if your kid wants to throw a right-handed, tie his arm behind his back so he can be a left-handed thrower. Look at what Garrett Cole just got in, in, in starting pitcher money for being left-handed, Right. Mama, if you can get your kid to be a chief sustainability officer, that might be better than a chief ethics officer or a CEO or a CIO or a COO or a CFO. Coca-Cola's long-term goal is to have its packaging made from at least 50% recycled material in 2030. Now, remember, Microsoft came out last week and said, we're going to be negative carbon emissions. We're going to be giving more carbon away than we even, uh, more polluting away than we, like, we're going to be able to, to green this earth with what we do. No one's going to be able to point a finger at us. So on one extreme, you have Microsoft saying, we're going to go above and beyond. On the other, you get Coca-Cola who says, we can't possibly do that. So I don't know. Is there an investment theme there? Yes. Would I invest in Coca-Cola right now? Probably not, because I do have that one question. At one point in time, they marketed as the the drink of a generation, right? And then Pepsi was like a new generation. I don't know if Pepsi or Coke really have the policies that are going to attract the millions and millions and millions and millions of of discretionary purchases of Coca-Cola. We don't need it to live. There's certainly other forms of caffeine that we're addicted to. I'll just use my vape pen. Oh, can't use the vape pen. But you can kind of see how government issues and sometimes social public issues could push business. I'm not saying Coca-Cola is going out of business. I'm not saying if I owned it, I would sell it. I'm saying this is one of the reasons I won't buy it. I would refer to that as a flag. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Millennials are destigmatizing two topics that their parents uh, heavily viewed as taboo. 
And this is a good thing, believe it or not. Mental health and money. So I'm tying back to the millennials plastic bottle story with Coca-Cola to one of the reasons I like millennials. I'm not of the they eat too much avocado toast generation. I'm not worried by that. As millennials struggle, we kind of see what their values are are holding on to. And they're talking a lot about money and they talk a lot about mental health. And those are two areas that can be very, very tough for people to talk about. Do you remember, like, there was a mentality in the United States that, you know, if you really want to know what Sally's like, go in Sally's bathroom and take a look at her prescriptions. Because we would find out if she's depressed or anxious. If we really want to know about Sally, let's find out about her salary and her her debt. Because we would get to know about her financial choices. And ultimately, millennials have no problem sharing. They can get ahead by talking about their financial situations with others. They are starting to use others. Uh, there's a company called Refiring29 that has a, a blog called Money Diaries. Ashton Kutcher has produced a reality TV show that tackles student debt going from broke. Not going for broke, going from broke. So there's something okay about destigmatizing it, in my opinion. So uh, I say believe in truth. I believe in saying it out loud makes it truer. You can find out more by checking out Rob Black's show. Big seminar coming up in Palo Alto. If you want to know about more about trends in investing, income in retirement, investment vehicles that are good and bad, just trust me, you don't want to make mistakes when you hit retirement. You do want to make some mistakes earlier in life, but not too many. You can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. It's coming up February 6th in Palo Alto. February 6th in Palo Alto. Sign up for the event using code RADIO25 at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. The seminar, February 6th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge, but hopefully you will. I don't know how many more of these I have left. It's definitely limited. I don't want to do financial media forever in the sense that I'll do maybe blog. Like there is some nice openings for let's not do it every single day, whether it be blogs or podcasts or what have you. Just find out more at Rob Black's show. RobBlackShow.com. Long after you need to know where I am, you can find me at Rob Black Show. But big event coming up in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Great parking, easy parking. It's probably the most wonderful place I've been to in Palo Alto as far as like ease of getting in and easy of ease of getting out. So anyway, it's a good chance to meet me and CFP Chad Burton February 6th. It's a Thursday. You can learn a lot more during the commercials. It's, you can learn a lot more by checking out newfocusfinancial.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You know, I talked a little bit about that potential virus that people are starting to pay, maybe potentially put on their radar to potentially get freaked out about. I should mention, and this is just not the type of investor I am, that typically when there are virus outbreaks, and there's different types, you know, bird flu, mad cow disease, swine flu, Typically, that's going to affect things like at your grocery store prices of meat, right? And typically, if there's like a swine flu, 
you would think that, well, getting good swine is tough to come by, so it's going to go higher. I better buy bacon today because it's going to go higher. It doesn't quite work like that. The bacon that you're going to buy today is already dead and in the freezer. The bacon you're going to buy next year is that one who's got a runny nose from swine flow. So they're going to slaughter those guys, get them out of the food chain in theory, and then prices are going to go up next year for swines because there'll be fewer pigs. to. They're going to slaughter the big ones and the small ones. So same thing with like, well, no, 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 I'm not going to say same thing with this virus because I, I, I'm not a virus expert. Don't pretend to be, don't want to be, but I can tell you how it plays out in like the grocery stores. You'll see drop in food prices followed by a markup next year. Um, and then if it's a big issue, then you'll see long-term markup as we have to make changes to the way we handle our animals during virus viral outbreaks. China's been accused of, of things like, well, you're burying your dead pigs one block away from your healthy pigs. And trust me, I'm not a swine flu virus expert. So don't even go there with me. But one of the big stories on the potential coronavirus getting bigger would be that people would say, I don't really want to fly. So instantly, you would see the Deltas, the United Airlines, the American Airlines see people cancel. And maybe if the the news gets big enough, the CEOs of those companies will get in front of CNN, CNBC, and everyone go, you know what? We're going to honor our patients right now. Not our patients. (laughs) We're going to honor our flyers right now, our customers, because they keep us in there in good times and bad times. If there's a little flu, we're going to say they can reschedule when they ever want to. Good for them. So you could see a hit to the airlines which would be a hit, in my opinion, to business activity. Have you ever gotten on a plane once where that was it? You got on a plane, you got off, you said hello to someone, and you left. You never got in a cab. You never got into a restaurant. You never uh, got into a hotel. You, we, when you got off the plane, you just said hello. You turned around and said goodbye. No economic activity was done. Probably not. When you see planes in the air, it's economic activity. When you drive by, I I live in a port city, so this is a little bit vague for some people, but when I drive by the port of Oakland and I see a lot of ships waiting to dock, that's not economic activity. When I see a lot of ships docking, that's economic activity. So, and you remember sometimes during these trade wars, like ships would dock outside of docks for like weeks waiting for something to get resolved before they go unload their expensive payroll. So airline stocks tend to fall on viral concerns. I don't want you to get too caught up in it, and I don't want you to become the next all-time best day trader of, of, of specialty because you happen to know, I work for the Center for Disease Control, Rob, and I know this one's going to take out the planet. Well, if the virus takes out the planet, then your investment is not going to be all that great anyway, right? So oil prices are sinking on forecasts for surplus in crude supplies. We seem to be well supplied with oil right now. Ten years ago, that wasn't the case. I would come on this airwave, even though I wasn't on this airwave, uh, but I would come on the air and I would say, you know, hey, this uh, we pumped out 21.3 million barrels of oil a day. We're below schedule and the earth is growing in the spot. Like, we don't seem to have a problem supplying oil right now. 
So the CFP Chad Burton's, the market commentators like myself, we tend not to get that caught up in it. And we're kind of looking over our shoulder going, don't have to worry about oil. Have you ever been in a road race with someone who is pretty competitive and someone who is pretty not competitive? The competitive guy you knew was right next to you, so you were worried about him. The not competitive guy, every now and then when you would like lap him or look over your shoulder, you'd be like, well, I don't have to worry about that threat. And I'm not saying that this is the tortoise versus the hare situation, but we don't have to worry about oil right now. We should keep an eyeball on it because it can become problematic fast, but it's not a big problem yet. Netflix is in the news. And before we get specific into Netflix, because I'm looking, I'm thinking, I'm wanting, I'm considering it's on my buying list. And anytime during earnings season, I wish I didn't talk about it as much as I do, because I talked about it today. I can't buy it for three days. But I'm putting together a formula right now. I'm putting together an idea. I'm putting together my, my theory. A 15,000-pound bird is not part of it. The peacock elbow, the peacock, the... The big new service out of Comcast is that we're starting to see what their video service looks like versus Netflix. Now, again, Netflix, this is the first quarter that they have to respond directly to Disney Plus numbers. Sometime next year, they're going to have to start responding to Comcast. What's interesting to note about Comcast is the amount of free that's going to be tied towards their streaming service. Free supplement it with ads. Or you can pay $5 to remove the ads. And it's pretty much so across the board. They're thinking kind of big picture, whether it be movies or or TV shows or live or DVR type style. They're thinking free is going to be a big part of it. Um, I got to the point where if your kids watch so many YouTube videos that you just want to like pay three bucks or five bucks to remove the ads, I get it. I'm usually not one to to argue with advertisers because I'm in the industry of radio and television that needs the advertisers, but I get the idea that content companies could monetize it through a subscription, very visible, or through advertising, a lot of work to see if it's visible or not. So for Peacock, viewers are going to get half their content for free. For $4.99 a month, subscribers get originals, premium movies, 4K resolution, the ability to watch The Tonight Show. At supper time rather than bedtime. Both those tiers have advertising limited to five minutes per hour. It's kind of interesting about that is so we know the Tonight Show tapes earlier in the day. We know all those shows do. Is there a benefit in getting it almost fresh off the TV edit before it's ready for prime time or waiting for that's kind of interesting. Not terribly, but I know a lot of Americans probably go to bed. There used to be a joke about how many Americans uh, were made during Johnny Carson's monologue. Like a lot of Americans, like let's go to bed and watch Johnny. Oh, and let's make love. And like you don't stop and th- it's not part of my culture to watch late night shows in prime time or dinner time. But I can see that at least it's a feature. I can't get aside it for it, but at least it's a feature. But Daniel Ives. He thinks Peacock's going to sign up about 20 million viewers. And what's interesting is that Peacock has the problem of being both NBC Universal, which has a lot of media properties, and also a big player in cable TV, Comcast, and thus a big player in ISP. 
and a lot of what they're pricing, because they are the ISP that Netflix is not, a lot of their pricing is saying, okay, we're going to give our people who have cut cable the same or similar type of deal. So they're kind of addressing some bigger issues. They're no longer saying cable is bad. Like Netflix is saying, like, cut the cord. Disney isn't saying cut the cord because they still get a big amount of money. So I think 2020 is going to be a big year for streaming. It's big year for 5G. It's a big year for video games. The financials, how will 2020 they affect? How will they play out low interest rates? How will the insurance companies play out with low interest rates? You know, when you get insurance for life insurance or whole life insurance or variable life insurance or a lot of what they do is it's consistency. It's seeing the numbers in yield. So a lot of data, a lot of data and consistency on what 2020 is going to look like. 800-516-1220, because insurance companies, once they know your general numbers, they're going to say he's going to live till 84.5. And a lot like Vegas, they somehow get it pretty darn close. So insurance companies don't do terribly well with low insurance, with low interest rates, because they have to offset risk with time. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Big seminar coming up on the 6th of February. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to meet you. It's going to be in Palo Alto. It's going to be about income and retirement. You can meet CFP Chad Burton. Learn more at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code radio 25 in for free. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Fast-rising home prices created an affordability risk story for many years. Low interest rates helped play into it. A strong economy helped play it into it. A lot of parts go into the formula of making this economic recipe. Does it work for you or does it not? Joining me now to talk a little bit about some of these issues and much, much more is CFP Chad Burton. You can meet CFP Chad Burton and greet with him. February 6th in Palo Alto. It's going to be a Thursday evening event. You can learn more by going to newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code radio25 if you've never been to an event. We're going to be talking about income and retirement. I always like the beginning of the year, Chad, because last year it was all about tax changes. This year it's all going to be about legislation changes. Maybe am I a little bit on? Am I a little bit off? How are you, Chad? I'm doing well, and I think I think you're you're right on. Um, really, the big change that we just had was the Secure Act that was passed, and that did a couple of things to change retirement planning. Uh, one of the things is that if you're still working and you're over seventy and a half, you can now continue to fund IRAs. Um, so that's new. So there's a lot of baby boomers out there, Rob, that are not prepared to retire. I mean, there's, they have not saved enough. They have no idea what's happening with, you know, how far behind they are and they're going to have to continue to work and continue to save. So they can still fund IRAs through age 70 and a half as, as long as they're still working for themselves or for an employer and now required minimum distributions, which is that age that the IRS requires you to start pulling a little bit out of your retirement accounts every single year. It used to be 70 and a half, and now it got pushed off till age 72. So there's two of the big changes, and, and really what it's done is it's enforced a lot of the stuff that we already talk about. So even though I still have to struggle as I get back from travel to 
uh, update some of the slides that we use in this event to with the new changes in required minimum distributions, it just enforces the fact that, number one, you need to consider the idea that you should be converting from the date you retire through age now 71, Okay. converting a little bit of money each year from an IRA to a Roth based on your tax bracket. Um, and number two, that, hey, it's a little different for beneficiaries to inherit your IRA now, which, again, just reinforces the idea that you need to consider converting some money from your IRA to your Roth. And also, if you were planning on leaving some of this money behind, there's going to be some new rules there or some new ramifications, so to speak. It's it's always interesting to see what Congress does and doesn't do for our benefit. And in the end, do you like this rule, would you say? Well, it's good that, number one, the, the whole required minimum distribution rule is so silly anyways because it's age 70 and a half. Okay. Um, but you can wait until April 1st of the year following that birthday, and then you could, but you'd have to take two the next year. So now it's simplified, and now it's age 72. But if you're already 70 and a half last year, you don't get any benefit from that anyway. And a majority of retirees, Rob, are taking more money out of their IRAs than the required okay. minimum distribution to live anyway. So... To be honest, it just seems like another law change that did simplify things a little bit, Um, and it makes sense estate planning-wise and tax-wise that, let me just say this, I don't think people really understand the situation. That's fair, and I'm so glad you're frustrated, because I am too. Let me just it say doesn't this. help. It does not help the person that doesn't have enough money to put money away for retirement. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so why bother with it? Um, I guess that's gotcha. the big issue. It's like they they just don't focus on the right things. But what it did is that the idea that I could save five million dollars in my IRA and then pass it on to my heirs and they can continue to defer the taxes over their lifetime that also does not make sense for the debt levels that we have in this country. So the big change is that they can't do that anymore. A beneficiary is now going to have to, a non-spouse beneficiary is now going to have to pay the taxes over 10 years. So they could take, if, if your child or grandchild inherits your IRA, they can basically, you, you know that they're going to have to pay the taxes over 10 years instead of defer it over their lifetime. So you have sure. to be very careful on your estate planning now. You have to know the tax brackets of your beneficiaries. If they're at a higher bracket than you, then you better pay the taxes while you're alive, especially in the form of an IRA to a Roth conversion. So it just enforces the stuff we've already been talking about. But anybody out there that has large IRAs and an estate plan, they need to update it. Attorneys are going to be very busy with this change because a lot of people have retirement account trusts that are no longer valid. They're not going to work anymore. So estate planning is going to change for people that have, I would say, especially over half a million dollars in your IRA. You need to really get on track with updating your plan. We've got about 30 to 60 seconds left. Um, Are there still good ways to save for retirement? Like the Roth IRA is still a good idea, or has anything changed for the negative here? No, it's all reinforced the idea that, that Roths are really what you need to consider you know, if that's a good strategy for you or not. Because remember, Roth IRAs never have any taxes involved. So later in life, if you need to buy a car or remodel your home and you need to take out a lump sum, if you're taking that out of your IRA, you could jump your tax bracket. You could end up paying more taxes on your capital gains and your dividends. You could end up paying more taxes on your Social Security, more taxes on your dividend uh, taxes for your stocks. And Roth IRAs fix all that. They don't 
cause your Social Security to increase in taxation or your Medicare premiums to go up. There's also no required minimum distributions on Roth IRAs. So it just reinforces the idea of a Roth, and everything that goes on tells me that eventually taxes are going to have to go up because we continue to have continued at debt levels. So, yeah, I mean, go for the Roths. Uh, not, just Don't just blindly go for it. Get advice and make sure it's right for you. Thanks very much. I am so stoked to see you at the beginning of the year. I've been partnered with Chad for many, many, many years, and it's always the beginning of the year that I'm most interested for, obviously, reasons that pertain to the clock. You can find out information for this event at newfocusfinancial.com. You can sign up for Chad's podcast at newfocusfinancial.com. I think he's incredibly bright when it comes to uh, the laws that change on the fly, especially when it comes to financial planning issues. It's Thursday, February 6th from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. You can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free.